Hi, this is Terrell Somerville, the lead pastor of Freedom Church. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you enjoy the message today and that you'd also take time to get plugged in to your local church. We believe you can't do life alone, so we learn to do life together. I also want to thank our givers who make this podcast possible. If you are blessed by this ministry, please consider subscribing, giving, and sharing this with your friends and family. God bless you. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good, good. Let's give God praise for being able to get up out of bed this morning. How about that? He's a good God. So, so glad you're here. Maybe if it's your first time here, hey, uh, hope and pray that uh, you come expecting for God to bless you because God is a God who loves us so much and has so much for us. I mean, our minds would be totally blown if you could see all the blessings he has for each of us. And so, so thankful that you are here. Let's give some love to those who's watching online. Thank you guys for watching online. We appreciate it very, very much. And so we're so thankful you're here and, and all the brand new guests that's here and everybody's here. Thank you so, so much. Hey, uh, uh, we are starting a brand new series today called United We Stand because it's so important that we unite as we stand. And I know we're in living in volatile times in this nation and things going on everywhere. Uh, but the bottom line to it is when you think about uh, being united, uh, united we stand or divided we fall. When I say united we stand, and you say that's what can end up happening and that's just about in anything you can imagine so when you think about that and you're thinking about being divided. You know, the worst thing you can do is be divided uh, when it comes to your marriage or be divided when it comes to a relationship with family or, or be divided on a direction you're going with your company or be divided most of all like a church. And so when you think about that, what we want to have is as we want to be able to have a vision, you know, that's what we want to have is a vision. And you want to have a vision for your personal life. You want to have a vision for your career. You want to have a vision for your company. You want to have a vision for your family. That's what you want to have is have a vision. And you want to know really where you're going and you, you, you've got a line on that. That's what it is with vision. Without vision, uh, the scripture says people will perish. Uh, so you want to have a vision because if you aim at nothing, you're certainly going to hit it every time. If you agree with that's a yes. So, however, vision can change very quickly, which will divide you because all you got to do is add two letters, right? See, it comes to division. Division is when there's two thought processes. And when that comes about, all of a sudden you're going way over here. And so you got just going in two different directions and that's not a healthy thing. So today, when we think about united, we stand. I love what Jesus had to say in Matthew 12 and verse 25. Check it out. He's told and he was replying to his audience. He said, any kingdom divided by civil wars doomed. A town or a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And we know that. When you think about feuding subjects, I think the most uh, two subjects that people feud about the most is politics and religion. Would you agree with that? That's what people, probably the two major subjects. And so when we think about you being united, we stand, we have to go back to our foundation. And we got to think about the foundation of who we are and where we've come from. When you think about names like George Washington, you think about Thomas Jefferson, you think about Samuel Adams, you think about the first chief justice, John Jay. These are the founding fathers of this beautiful nation that we're living in. Over 200 years ago, they shook off the chains of tyranny from Great Britain by divine call. What they did, they cited 27 biblical violations, and in response, they wrote the Declaration of Independence for Liberty and Justice for All. But something has happened since Thomas Jefferson called the Bible the cornerstone for American liberty and then put it in our schools as a light. Uh, our country, listen to me closely, was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say this again. Our country was founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. These men that I just mentioned believe that you couldn't call yourself an American if you subverted the word of God. So here's where we're at. Our nation and the church needs a revival of character. I'm going to say it again because this man won't tell it again. Alfred, our our nation 
and our church needs a revival of character. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? In order to see lasting change in our nation, we have to be intimately aware of the state of the church and its people. A, a great example of a church that was in disarray was the church at Corinth when you read in the New Testament. Really, when you read about the church of Corinth, a good way to describe the church of Corinth was a church gone wild. That's what it boiled down to. So when you look at that church and you study, there's two particular books with it, you will see first and foremost, they were a defiled church. They were caught up in sexual immorality uh, at the inth. You know, I mean, it's way out there. So with them being a defiled church, but also the church at Corinth was a divided church. There was at least four different groups seeking to in leadership of that church. So when you have a church that's defiled and you have a church that's divided, then that means you have a disgraced church. And here's a word that Paul said in this one particular verse that I want us to understand as a church. He said, I appeal to you in 1 Corinthians 1.10, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. In thought and in purpose. It's so important that we understand that we as a church are to be of one mind in thought and in purpose. The great pastor and theologian and author A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what God says to the church at any time period depends on altogether upon her moral and spiritual condition and upon the spiritual need of the hour for any lasting impact spiritually or even politically as Christians, we have to return to the foundation of our first love. And we have to be lovers of the truth of the Word of Almighty God. If you agree with that, say yes. yes. This is our foundation, the Word of Almighty God. Your hope is not to be in a person. Your hope is not to be in a politician. Your hope is not to be in your spouse. Your hope is not to be in your children. Your hope is to be in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gave his life on the cross and we laid, laid his life out for us. He is to be our foundation through his word. That's what God wants for our lives. And his greatest is there for us to be able to have. So Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter 8, verse 32, he said this about truth. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we know that Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the source of truth. And here's what Jesus is. He is the perfect standard for that which is right. He came to be able for all of us to be able to give every human being a new heart and a new start and to be able to help every human break free from sin's bondage and sin's deception. And if you don't break free from sin, sin's bondage and sin's deception, you will lead a loser's life. So that's what Jesus came to do, to get win in this life. So Jesus, through his word, once you become a Christian, shows every person who will study the word of God a clear path, not only to have a great life now, but to have eternal life with God. When we check out, we know where we're checking in. Can I get a witness, church? Right? That's where we're going. And when you begin to seek God, and Jesus Christ is the perfect truth who frees us up to live the life he intended for us. We can live that life that God laid out for us before we were ever born. We can live out what God planned for us before we were ever born. Look at the person next to you and say, God's got a plan for you. So, let's get down to the root of a question here. How many of you are like me? You get disgusted by politics and life in general. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, we all do. Because we're not just talking about governmental politics. There are politics in relationships. There are politics when it comes to maybe you missed a promotion, but because somebody's over here brown nosed and they're less qualified and not there as much, but they got the promotion. You know what I'm talking about? You were more qualified. Or maybe the politics of the ball field, where the, for some reason the kid's coach, the, 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 the kid of the coach always starts, but your kid doesn't, and your kid, you know, is better, right? You see what I'm saying? There's always politics involved. Maybe the politics of you wanting to start that dream business that you wanted to start, but it ain't happening like you want it to. I could go on and on and on. But here's where we're going, and we've got to lay the foundation of why that politics happens. We have to go back to the garden. We have to go back to the garden of what, or better, who is at the root of the problem. 
Now, Genesis 1 and 2 was great. Genesis 3, that's when Jerry Springer stuff started, okay? So let's jump in. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the, of the Lord God had made. Basically, the serpent, he was disguised, Satan was disguised as a shrewd serpent, and he started his venture of politics at this moment in this garden with two people, okay? That's what he did, and that's where it began with humanity. Satan, understanding he was a glorious angel, kicked out of heaven because of pride. Go, so, when you think about shrewd, I want you to think about when it, it mentions here uh, that he was a shrewdest. Shrewd simply means they're artful. They are a, a person that is cunning in practice. It's a person that is that's tricky. Then when you think about politics, listen to this word. When you break down the word politics, politics is, is when you're really shrewd and artful, ingenious, you're unscrupulous, you are cunning. You break the word politics down, poly comes from the word Latin, which means many. Ticks is simply blood-sucking creatures, okay? Many blood-sucking creatures, okay? Let's get that out there for politics, okay? But it goes on to say here, one day he asked the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So what did Satan start with? Hmm. This is what Satan started with. This is where it started here. Satan started with doubt. He's getting Eve to doubt in this moment, making her question God's word and God's goodness. How many times has is is Satan come in and tempted you to question God's word and God's goodness? In your own life. It's happened to me and it's happened to you. If you're truthful, it's all happened to all of us. That's what he does. It begins with doubt. And then when you're doubting something, what happens to you next? You get discouraged, don't you? I don't know about you, but man, it's really easy out there to get discouraged. Are you with me, church? So that's how the enemy operates. He starts with doubt. Then you go into a discouraging time. And you know what? When you get discouraged, what do you do? You're looking at the problem instead of looking at the solver of the problems. That's what we end up getting into. That's what ends up happening to us. It goes on to say, that's just the first verse. I got to keep, you got to listen fast because I'm going to talk fast. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the trees in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. He did not say even touch it. She just added it there. That's what happens. People start adding and taking away. That's a whole nother sermon. But it says, if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. He took a little truth and a little lie, spelled disaster, okay? So he's went from getting her to doubt, he's discouraging her. And so here's what it goes on to say in verse 6. The woman was convinced. All right, hey, all you guys in here, raise your hand for a minute. Raise your hand. If you're a guy, raise your hand. Okay. Let me ask you a question. What do you do, guys, with a woman who is convinced? Nothing. Let's just get that out there, okay? Nothing, okay? So, here he is. She is convinced. So, what's happening here not only went from doubt, went to discourage meant okay then when you go from doubt to discouragement then he's hitting another way this is where the division comes in it's called oh, oh my board's moving it's called it's called diversion See, that's what happens. See, a diversion, it works out, it works great in ball and everything. It, a, a diversion does. But in this situation, the diversion, it makes the wrong things seem attractive. You say, what do you mean? Well, what he's doing here and what the enemy's doing here, he's making Eve think that the things that here that you don't have is the things you need the most. Do you follow what I'm saying? He's not getting her to thinking. Here, what he's doing, he's bringing about a diversion for an illusion that and making say, God is strict, God is stingy, God is selfish. And he made Eve forget about the rest of the entire garden of blessings. He diverted her thinking. So doubt, discouragement. Then he's got this diversion going on. It says, she saw that the tree was beautiful and that fruit looks delicious. 
And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. It's a whole other message there. And he ate it too. So Eve is sin, involved Adam in her sin. And when we do something wrong in our lives, you know what we do a lot of times? We want to relieve the guilt that's going on because we messed up. And what do we do? We involve somebody else in it. So she did. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Wow. <laughs> they went from innocence to guilt to embarrassment, from secure with God to being an insecure person because of their sinful lives. So let's just take and Eve, let's put something on to cover up the mess we've got ourselves in. Isn't that what we do? We try to cover up the mess that we get ourselves in. That's what they were doing here. So that's if they could thinking that they could really hide from God. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So they're thinking fig leaves is going to hide them from an all-knowing, all-seeing God. And that's what we end up doing as if we could ever hide from God. So they've sinned. And what happened in their minds at that moment? A warning signal went off. It's called a guilty conscience. And that is the warning signal that God puts in every human being that you've done something wrong. That's why a lot of times when people come to church, they feel uncomfortable because when the gospel's being preached, the Holy Spirit begins to convict and you feel uncomfortable because there's unrepentant sin in your life. Unrepentant meaning you have not turned from that sin you're doing. See, the word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, means a change of mind, and I'm going to go the other direction. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going this way and I'm going to follow God. But until you do that, that warning signal goes off in your mind that you have a guilty conscience. So if you're struggling with some kind of defeat in your life, you're struggling with some kind of addiction or something going on in your relationship, you're trying to hide this sin, and your relationship at that point will not be good with God. And understand your walk with God is the single most important walk of any relationship in your life. Verse 9 says, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Which is a good question for all of us and all of humanity. God knew where they were, but God was desiring fellowship with them. But they were hiding from the shame of sin. Verse 10, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Here's where the blame game and making the excuses began. So what has happened here? Satan has done a really good job giving credit to the enemy, getting her to doubt the goodness of God, bringing her into a state of, dis of discouragement, getting her to divert her to not think about all the goodness that God had given her, to think about one single thing, and then ultimately defeat. And that's what the enemy wants to do. John 10, 10, steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to make you feel like a failure so you won't even try. So what did Eve do? She looked, she lusted, and she sinned. And that's the very battle tactics that Satan does against all humanity. That is Satan's political strategy to tempt you into his kind of life in order that you will give up on God's kind of life that he has for all of humanity. Satan wants you to be on his side and to abandon the life that God has for you. 
It reminds me of thinking about Satan and it being Halloween coming up and we're talking about trunk or treat. And this man, he dressed up in this really authentic looking Satan outfit. So it was a very small town and close knit. And he was going to walk down to a party he was going to. So when he started walking down the sidewalk, all of a sudden the bottom dropped out of it and it started raining really, really, really hard. So the closest building he could get in was a Pentecostal church. So he runs up to this Pentecostal church, unbeknowing when he ran inside that there was a revival going on. So he runs inside and all of a sudden everybody turns and looks at this guy that looks just like Satan. And they started running and screaming and fearing. And this one particular woman that was closest to him, her dress got caught on a pew and it threw her on the floor. So he thought, he felt sorry for her. He walked, he started slowly walking up to her. And all of a sudden she belted out and said, I just want you to know, Satan, I've been a member of this church for 30 years, but I just want you to know I've always been on your side. You know, it makes you think, whose side are you on? Whose side are we on in word and deed? Let me say that again. Whose side are you on? Not what you just talk, but how you walk. God knows. And you know. So, you got to realize you have an enemy. Not each other. It's not each other. We're not each other's enemy. We're engaged in a real battle. Cosmic proportions, I'm talking a real opponent. First Peter 5 and 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your family. He wants to devour your career, your kids, your relationships, your resources, your hopes, and your dreams for a future. He wants to devour our nation. That's what the enemy is doing. So God, listen to me. God is allowing Satan to politic humanity in order to weed out those who pretend to be followers of Jesus Christ in righteousness and in holiness. He allows them to do it because you and I have free will to do what we want to do. Where are you in word and deed and whose side are you on? I'll never forget years ago. I'm a UT fan. I'm proud of it, okay? If you're of another team, you know, I'm praying for you. There's recovery programs for you and stuff like that. But anyway, <laughs> that's funny. I don't care what nobody says. I don't know where that come from. But anyway, um, we always dressed our girls up when they were little, you know, in, in the little UT outfit, cheerleading outfits. And we went to a game one time, and there was this guy in front of us. This dude was obnoxious. I mean, if he had one beer, he had 32 beers. And he could not see, he could not walk. His eyes were bugged out of his head, and he had absolutely no clue what was going on on the field. He couldn't have. His eyes, it just looked like somebody took a marker and just colored them, you know what I'm saying? But not only that, he started using choice words. And, and you know, you got your three little girls. There's a side of a dad that comes out that you don't want to come out. So I had to kind of pull myself back. But... I remember trying to lovingly say, you know, if you don't mind, man, these are my girls. Just kind of watch what you're saying. And, oh, yeah, man, I'm sorry, man. Okay, so I finally, I think I got through to the guy. But, but anyway, here's the thing about this guy here. He had no clue what was going on on the field. Nothing. I mean, I don't think as big as the jumbo board is there, he couldn't see the score if he wanted to. There was a game going on, and this dude was so drunk, he had no clue about what was happening on the field. <laughs> and you know what? It's a great picture of where we are in culture today. Do you believe that? So what do you mean? There's a game going on for the heart and soul of humanity and our nation. Yet so many of us have been drinking deception for so long that we don't understand the implications and we don't understand the seriousness of the game. So as a church, holistically, it's time that we sober up, get on the field, not to be spectators, but to be participators in word and indeed, in everything that we do. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So there's a battle between two forces. It's not us against each other in flesh and blood. It's between good and evil. And so many people today are drunk and deceived. They don't know what's happening. And there's this evil army of the unseen world that's wanting to defeat Christ's church and be able to render Christ 
Christ church is absolutely ineffective in our mission and in our purpose. So I want you to unite. We're going to unite through God's Word and what we're going to do. But I want to take you through a few things. We've got to understand the uniting to where that we're drinking deception in this nation. First and foremost, we have got to unite in truth, not relativism. You say, well, what's that word, relativism? Everybody thinks everything's relative. Relativism means that the knowledge and the truth and the morality exist in a relation to the culture, the society, or some kind of historical context, but they're not absolute. Ephesians 6 and 14, Paul said, Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. So many people today are caught up and are relativists. That's what they'll tell you. They think it's hip. They think it's cool. They say, YOLO, you only live once. That's a life for living. These people that are really spouting off about it, the celebrities, the pundits, the politicians, and on and on, they're all into this. Relativism simply says what is true for you is true for you. What is right for you is right for you, but that doesn't mean it's true for me or right for me. Do you follow what I'm saying? There is a total oxymoron of what's taking place here, but God's truth and His truth is what sets us free. And if you don't allow it to set you free, you will be held in a bondage of lies. And Satan is the father of lies. There are physical laws, okay? There is the law of gravity. That which goes up must come down, right? You with me? But also there are spiritual laws when it comes to God's created humanity. The example, one example in our nation, God made man and God made woman on the earth to be husband and wife. And you know what? When you think about this here, it blows my mind the direction that our nation has taken. It blows my mind the direction that that being able to Satan has politicked his way in to redefine marriage in this country is between man and man and woman and woman. And understand that God is the one that sanctified marriage. God is the one that set it apart. God, it's his design to be between one man, one woman, and one covenant and one lifetime. Now, here's what I'll tell you. You know, we love the LGBTQ community, Okay. They're God's people. They're made in an image. We will welcome them here at Freedom Church as well as we will welcome adulterers. We'll welcome fornicators. We'll welcome addicts. We'll welcome drunkards. But just because we welcome people that are full of sin doesn't mean we approve of their sin or their behavior. Are you with me? Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? You've got to understand that we love people here. We don't love what they do. But you can't change that which God has set apart. It's His Word. It's not their Word. You understand what I'm saying? That's where people get all messed up. And I believe wholeheartedly in our nation that you and I have equal rights. However, when it comes to the institution, just example of marriage, that's God's. Who are we to touch that? Look at our public schools. Uh, I don't, you know, I want to do that. If you work for a public school in any shape, form, or fashion, teacher, anything, I want you to stand up just for a minute. Stand up, please. We want to honor you, our teachers. <laughs> Give God praise. Give God praise for them. Man, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you. You can be seated. But here's what I know about our one. We got a huge amount of teachers in our church. But the education system's being dumbed down to bring along those who don't wish to study hard or those in their home that do not have a support system to be able to study and make the grades. So in order to bring them along, we have to dumb it down so we don't hurt their self-esteem. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, that's why they come out with the Velcro shoes instead of being able to tie them. Let's Velcro them so we don't hurt their self-esteem if they can't tie their shoe. Just being honest. And I'm talking about here, I'm talking about well-intentioned people that totally are missing the truth. You look at back in the Old Testament, you look in the, the book of Judges, you look in chapter 1, verse 25, look what it says, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Doesn't that sound like America? I'm lying, I'm dying. Sounds like America doing what they think's right in their own eyes. Relativism, what's right for you is, and what's true for you. Don't mean it's true for me or right for me, but it might be for you. Ah, it's relative, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Shannon and I, we go down to Florida each summer and have for many, many years. And 
always on the beach down there at Clearwater, they got these nesting birds and they, they come by and they spend these assorted amounts of money and they put these things around it where you can't get in there. You set foot in there, it's like setting foot in jail because they're going to get you because they, you know. And, I, and, and when you think about them doing that, I love animals and all that kind of stuff. But our government is protecting and developing birds when we're murdering 2,400 babies every day in the name of convenience. What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture, church? Ronald Reagan said one of the greatest quotes I've ever read when it comes, and and here's what it says. I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. I hope you will thank God that you are living, that you are breathing, and that your heart is beating. And I will tell you this, and I didn't tell the last service, thank you, Holy Spirit. I know of a nurse before she became a believer who almost lost her mind because she was working in an abortion unit. And you know what lost her mind? It wasn't the, the atmosphere of blood, and you understand what I'm saying. It's when they took those infants they aborted. And they placed them in these biohazard bags. That's not what got her either. It's when that baby moaned. The sound of moaned. Fighting for life. Fighting for life. She literally almost went crazy. So, truth over relativism. Something else we got to unite in is effective, being effective, and it's not bureaucracy. There's an assault today on achievement. If you, if we ran our church, led our church, or you led your, your home or your company like the government does, man, we would all be in the poorhouse. Can I get a witness? Let's think about that. If you succeed, though, the government wants to take your profits and give it to well-able-bodied Americans who don't want to work. I'm just, just throwing it out there. And they want to give those profits to them. Those who can work, but those who won't work. Those who want to sit at home and drink and smoke and play on their iPhone. Now, understand as a church, our challenge and the word is we're to help the poor, that we are to help the less fortunate. Jesus said, we will always have the poor with us. And it's the church's responsibility to be able to step up and do this. But we, and we are, in that process, we are to help those who are physically challenged and mentally challenged who cannot work. However, look at the person next to you and say, however. It's time for Americans to take personal responsibility. If you can work, you work. It's wrong to live off the government while everybody else is giving it to you to be able to do that. Paul even addressed it in 2 Thessalonians to the Thessalonica church in chapter 3 and verse 10. He said, those unwilling to work will not get to eat. I've been on mission trips and I go to these third world countries, Honduras, uh, Dominican Republic. I go on and on. But anyway... You know what they don't have there? They don't have a social networking system. If they don't work, they get nothing. There's not welfare. There's not social security. None of that stuff is there. Or they don't get nothing. And I believe in social programs. And I believe there's a a, a place for that. And I thank God for it. Some of you may be here on social security now. Thank God for that. But the point I'm making is our government has become a powerful, permissive parent. That's what's happening. You say, What do you mean? What's a powerful, permissive parent? Well, you can't fail, honey. Oh, you can't fumble. Oh, I don't want you to experience anything bad in your life, honey. Listen, we're going to help you. We're going to help pick you up. Oh, I'm so sorry you went through that. Isn't that like giving dope to a dope addict? Isn't that, it's just very, very sad. Many people think that our hope is in a politician. People think our hope is in legislation, and that's the answer. Let me tell you what the answer is. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation and a heart transformation for a person to become everything that God created them to be and follow that course for the life till they check out and check in heaven. That's the answer for us today, and that's what we need to unite in, church. 
education's not working, legislation isn't going to work. It's only a heart and life transformation in the truth of Jesus Christ that will work. Let me tell you something else we need to unite in, and that's responsibility, not victimization. Man, it's very, very sad, the people that are playing the victim card. It's their fault. It's not my kid's fault. It's not my fault. It's not my husband's fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my fault. It's the government's fault. It's not me. What we end up doing, we're enabling entitlement people. I'm entitled. I deserve this. I deserve that. That's for me as well as it would ever be with you. No, I don't work. I don't step up and take responsibility. I don't even hold a job, but I'm entitled to it. Wow, that's totally against Scripture. Totally against Scripture. Because when you become a believer in Jesus Christ and you begin to follow Him, that's when you take responsibility for your life and say, this is the B-I-B-L-E. Is this the book for me? I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Good acronym for the Bible. Write that down. Basic instructions before we leave earth, okay? So we take responsibility, we turn from him, we turn to Jesus, and we follow him in the path that he has for life, and you will be blessed beyond measure. The problem is 99% of failure comes from people who have a habit of making excuses. I've learned in my life from the things that, not that I succeeded in, but the things I failed in. That's what I learned in, in my life. And, and looking back on my life, I thank God for my failures in my life. And I thank God for my parents who were absolutely tough on me. And they were tough enough on me. They allowed me to fall flat on my face, church. I remember when I was 18 years old, I got put in jail. My mama didn't tell my daddy. I was talking to my new, it's going to be my new neighbor yesterday about it. We was talking about each other's fallacies and, and Tommy, he's a lot older than me and he's telling me how God had delivered him the thing and I told him about that and it made me think, I got put in jail. They didn't come and get me out. Three days later, mama told me later, three days later, uh, it's sunny, three days later, my daddy said, where's Terrell at? <laughs> I mean, that's bad when your dad don't notice the kid's gone three days later. And a friend got me out. They still didn't get me out of jail. But I remember that, that that long ago. They didn't rescue me every time I tripped. They didn't rescue every time I got hurt. They didn't rescue me every time I made a stupid decision. It's scary, the entitlement mentality that's taking place. I'm entitled to it. I deserve it. I need it. It's this whole victim mentality. Listen, we're not entitled to anything but death and hell and destruction. And you can take care of that through Jesus Christ. So much hypocrisy is taking place. You got the media out there spinning everything and slanting everything, and there's no accountability, even though they say it should be accountability. And here's what I know. If you stand up for anything that's got to do with the Lord and the Bible, they will slice you and they will dice you. There's a lot of uncertainty going on in our country. But here's what I know, and you know too. God is still on the throne, and God is still in control. Let's give him praise, church. He's a good God. He's a good God. I'll tell you one more thing we need to unite in. We need to unite in wisdom, not intelligence. Now, for, I'm going to ask you to just overlook what I'm going to say, but I, it's just being honest, and I think you'll agree with me. We got more educated idiots in the world than ever before. Am I right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying, because when you think about people out there, intelligence or IQ does not equal wisdom. You follow what I'm saying? It just doesn't. And here's what I will tell you when it comes to, to God. Uh, God is liberal in one sense. Follow, track with me on this. It says in James chapter 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all, what's that word? Say that word out loud liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Listen, when we need great advice, we need wisdom, God says, ask me. Ask for common sense, God is saying. And common sense is such a stupid phrase because common sense is totally uncommon. <laughs> Let's be honest. We have an opportunity to have uncommon sense under God. Look what Proverbs 1 and 7 says here. Fear of the Lord is foundation, is a foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Wow. Fools despise it. Wisdom and discipline. 
Have you noticed the slide into socialism in the world? Have you noticed that? There's this big battle between socialism and capitalism. And uh, it's kind of like you look around the world and uh, you just got to say, like Dr. Phil, you look at Europe and you look at Cuba, you look at Venezuela, how's that working for you? They're a wreck. You say, well, where are you going with this, Pastor? Understand that socialism is non-biblical. It's non-biblical. Doesn't mean, it, because we don't need that. If, if the church stepped up and did what the church is called to do, there wouldn't be no, wouldn't be no need for Social Security. Can I get a witness? You ever thought about, and I don't have time to go there. You ever thought about why churches are named after saints? You ever thought about that? Because churches was doing it. And somehow it fell on the shoulders of a government. That's a whole different story there, and I don't have time to, to go down that road. But here's what I'm going to tell you. It's scary to see the slide toward it. And I love what the prime minister, former prime minister of UK said, Margaret Thatcher, check this out. The problem with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money. True? Not true. Wisdom, not intelligence. We need to ask God for wisdom and wise up as his people. Now, what does it mean to be wise? You see through God's eyes from his perspective with God's wisdom so that you and I, every day we're in the word so that we can make great decisions with God's word and God's wisdom. That's why that, you know, everybody's talking about the election. Did you know that last week, it's crazy. I don't know if you know this is early voting poll. How many of y'all know this early voting poll place? Do you know how many people went through the doors here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? 5,608 people. It was a nightmare. I didn't even want to come to church and work here. I thought, I got to go work somewhere else. You couldn't even get in here. I thought, hey, I, uh, I, I work here. But when it comes to even in our country, you, you know, people say, I don't care anything about voting. <laughs> well, shut up. Uh, just... Just being honest, I'm sorry I, if you took that as rude and anything, forgive me. Be quiet. But anyway, if, you know, that's a part of life too when it comes to politics. You ain't going to vote. You seek God about that. We need to elect people who have wisdom, local, locally and globally. I mean, locally and nationally. And God's people, I believe that we can return this nation back to not one nation that thinks they're over God. Not one nation that's going along beside God, but one nation under God. That's what can happen. So how do we know how to make the right decisions? Politics for your job, politics for your relationship, politics with God as far as dealing with things in life, how Satan comes and tries to politic you. He'll send his many blood-sucking creatures to destroy your life. Psalm 119 and 105 has it. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word. That's it. We've got to remember that everything that we do as a Christian is to be done in love. It's not the separation of church and state. We've got to have the separation of church and hate. So many times people are just ugly, downright. They let everything divide them. And remember, it's not flesh and blood. We're all made in the likeness and image of God. So it goes down to the two most important commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, body, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, so, so important. So, a lot of people, they want to look down their long noses of judgment as a Christian. If you're not careful, you begin to look down and say, oh, God's going to get that rapist. Oh, God's going to oh, get that addict. Oh, God's going to get that person. He's into child pornography. God's going to get that person right there. He murdered somebody. Let's see how judgment unfolds. Back to the Word. Peter said it very clearly in his first letter, chapter 4, beginning with verse 17. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. 
And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for He will never fail you. What a promise. He will never fail me. He will never fail you. And so understanding that when God makes us, he makes us in his likeness and in his image. God made you to be different, not indifferent. God made you to be extraordinary, not ordinary. God made you to be significant, not insignificant. God made you to be competent, not incompetent. God made you to be active, not inactive. God made you to be effective, not defective. God made you to be adequate, not inadequate. God made you to be superior, not inferior. God made you to be responsible, not irresponsible. God made you to be insightful, not despiteful. God made you to be uncommon, not common. God made you to be decisive, not indecisive. And most of all, God made you to be an original. Don't you dare die being a copy. You become everything that God made you to be. And that is what we bank on. That's what we know with our great God. Whoa! <laughs> Two weeks from today, I'm going to tell you how to vote. You say, uh-oh, he, he has crossed the line. No, you hear me out. I'm not going to tell you politically how to vote. That's not my responsibility. But I will tell you biblically, according to the Word of God, how that we pray about and we seek God and how to vote. You won't hear me say a politician's name. I stick to the Word, and I promise you, if you'll stick to the Word and I stick to the Word, we'll never go wrong in life. Do you agree with that? If you do, say amen. Amen. So, the prophets of God, men and women of God, you know what they stood on when they stood on the Word of God? They're standing and they say, thus saith the Lord. And that's how we are to be. So it's time that we unite and we stand for God's truth and and we stand and and we don't want to be people who go to church, that dress up to go to church and say we go attend church. We want to be the church. We want to be a Christian nation under God. And it's time that we wake up, we sober up and we stand on our faith. We take responsibility and we drink in the truth of God's word and allow it to set us free. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. How many of you want to see God do this so that we continue to be the nation of God? as his people. Glory be to his name. Would you stand with me? As we stand and we're entering a time of prayer, I want to invite you to come up and pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for your church. Pray for me. If you don't have anybody else to pray for, pray for each other. Especially, pray for the people around you. You might disagree, but pray for everybody. Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. You work out your word and deed with you, and you let the other person, God, work it out with them. Let's pray for our nation today. Father, we love you and praise you. Thank you, God, for this day. We want to be a church united and a nation that's divided. So, God, find us faithful to your word and to you. And we pray, God, that we will turn from our wicked ways, seek your face. And we pray, God, you'll restore our land in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's pray, church.
as we continue praying right now, your heads bowed and eyes closed, even those online right now, if you just, maybe you're uncomfortable, there's something going on in your life and you know that you've been convicted of it. If you feel that loving conviction in your heart and you've never given your life to Christ, that's why you're here today. And uh, maybe you want to come back to God and you know that you want to do that. Would you pray to him and seek his face right now and just tell him, say, God, I want to come to you. I want to confess all my sins to you. God's word says in 1 John 1 and 9 that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wrong, all unrighteousness. Just say, Lord, please forgive me, God. I come to you in faith. I ask you, Heavenly Father, to save me. I ask you, Lord, to restore me. Forgive me if I've turned my back upon you. Find me faithful in my walk, in word and in deed. Ask him, say, Lord, give me the power of your Holy Spirit. I need your wisdom. I need your direction. Tell him, Lord, say, Lord, I want you in my life. come in and you receive that peace let us know about it we want to have a conversation to be able to help you in your walk with him please let us know that take your next steps with God greatest decision you'll ever make we love you heavenly father we praise your name and thank you God for all that you're doing and find us faithful God hello pastor Jim here I just wanted to come on and thank you for listening and help answer the question what next if you gave your life to Jesus today, we would love to take that journey with you. Simply text the word SAVED to 615-900-2176. And make sure to follow us through the week on our social media accounts at Freedom Church TN. We love you. Have a blessed week. Hello, Pastor Jim here.